Um, I'm Natasha Santos again, and you're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI Radio in New York. I am Natasha Santos, an independent um, contributor. You can find our recently released June print edition in our red and white news boxes across the city. You can also find us online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot org. I'm here with the Indep- Independence Editor-in-Chief, John Tarleton. Hey, John. Hi, Natasha. It's great to be back uh, here uh, with you and all our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. Great. Um, we're also here with uh, Pastor Tabitha Holly. Hi, Tabitha. Hey, good to see you. <laughs> nice to see you, too. Uh, Tabitha is, uh, oh, sorry. Tabitha <laughs> is originally from Texas, I mean, Georgia. Tabitha, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm like all tongue-tied right now. I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's fine. Um, I am from Georgia. I'm from Southwest Georgia originally, uh, near the Florida border. Um, I came, I went to Spelman, and then I came to Union Theological Seminary to um, get my MDiv, and now I'm pastoring a really small and amazing church of organizers and educators and artists and dreamers here in the North Bronx. So I'm excited to be here. And yeah, that's a bit about me. Yeah, I'm excited. We're excited to have you. Um, Juneteenth was celebrated as an official national holiday for the first time this weekend. Uh, 156 years after the Union Army arrived in Galveston, Texas, to end the last bastion of slavery in the United States. So one of the reasons Tabitha is joining us now is to discuss what that means and also to discuss um, the the what it's like one year after the 2020 protest of the death, the killing of George Floyd. Uh, Pastor, Holly, or should I call you Pastor or Tabitha? Tabitha's fine. <laughs> Tabitha, my first question, where are we in this moment Um, in regards to Juneteenth and also regards to the 2020 protests, the aftermath? Where are we in this moment and how did we get here? Mm, Big question. Really, really big question. Um, I think we're in a place where we are um, dreaming of what is possible. I think we are dreaming of what is possible. Um, what what could be better? Um, how could we improve our living conditions? Um, or at least that's what I feel about in my neighborhood where I live now in the South Bronx. Um, and so while it is, um, while we while we are grateful for the organizers who who fought so much for um, for Juneteenth to be a federal holiday. Um, as we think about what happened last summer and we think about what we've been asking for, um, we need much, much more than a federal holiday. Um, we really um, need to think about ways of reimagining public safety for our people. We need to be thinking about um, Black people and their living conditions and their housing. We need to be thinking about Black people and the and the schools that Black children go to, um, that they are fair, that they're equitable, that, that children can learn without police being in the halls. There are... Um, all these different concerns that need to be addressed. Um, and then to say, and it, 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 to a lot of my peers, you know, I've just kind of been sitting by kind of like a fly on the wall, I think yeah. for the past, you know, couple of days, cause I haven't been able to even grapple um, with the fact that like, wow, like 
the government <laughs> um, has really, it, in some ways, patted itself on the back. Uh, That's exactly how I was feeling with the Juneteenth holiday. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, look at us. Look at us. Yeah. We're doing so great by Black people. Um, and I'm like... Um, we demanded oh. equity. <laughs> we demanded accountability. Um, so that's where I'm about around Juneteenth Um, and yeah yeah Uh, that leads us that leads me perfectly into our next question what were the demands for during the 2020 protests and how have they been answered yeah so the the demands were that we that we redefine public safety um, that we redefine public safety and particularly you know we really saw a shift um, and a change and we saw organizers say all right, so it's about time out for this for this reform, and it's about time for us to call for, um, you know, some have called you know for the abolition of police, and others are just saying let's just cut the let's just cut police department budgets mm-hmm. um, significantly, and let's just redefine and reimagine public safety, um, and so. Um, I'm not going to speak to what's happening in other cities and other states, but I will say in the city of New York, one of the, what, what we know happened was <laughs> that the city council, um, they quote unquote took money out of the NYPD budget, but then they reallocated money and put it into um, into school police. Pretty much we call them school safety agents. And so a lot of young people over here in the Bronx have been organizing for police-free schools because it's not safe to walk into buildings where there are police officers. It's just not they're not trained um, to de-escalate violence. In fact, students are learning how to do restorative justice and students are learning how to, to do processes and figure out um, what it takes to de-escalate um, situations where harm happens. Um, and so that's what happened. I mean, I think in New York City, at least from my perspective, it feels as though you know the city council did that to us and then they gaslit us a yeah. year later and said, oh, we did cut the, the budget, you know, but in reality, they just really went and they terrorized black students in this past year. Um, and, and I'm really curious about what's going to happen with this year's budget. Um, but yeah, that's what they did, at least in New York City. Yeah, I I. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings on that, but I'm going to let John ask his question because it's only fair that John. <laughs> yeah, could, I, um, yeah, actually, uh, since you, you mentioned city council and, and the, their failure to really uh, cut the police budget last year, we're now in a election day here where the, the leading candidate in all the polls is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who himself was a police officer for 22 years, uh, became a police captain in the NYPD and uh, still seems to really sort of see the world through the eyes of a, of a cop. Uh, your, your thoughts on, on why Adams has proven to be fairly popular, at least with uh, some voters and, and, and what it would mean if he did in fact go on to win this race. Yeah. Um, I think that is, um, a very terrifying reality that I'm sitting in. Um, and I'm, re- I'm kind of reminded, um, and hope this is appropriate to say, but I'm reminded of, um, the moment when, um, the moment when Kamala Harris was, uh, was brought in to be the VP pick. Um, and there was pushback from organ, from black organizers saying we need to be really thoughtful around her history, um, yeah. as it relates to her being a DA. And I think that in the same vein, you know, I think that identity politics, uh, while it in many ways in the past might have been helpful to us, I think in this moment, it's going to be to our detriment. Um, and I think that as for why people might be going for this candidate, um, I think about, you know, I, I listen to sometimes older 
people, like folks who are who consider themselves elders. I listen to them talk about um, the war on drugs and 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 the seventies and the eighties and how terrifying that time was. And so organizers, you know, even here where I live in the Bronx, talk about you know what well, in the nineties, in the eighties, you know, we had to figure out something because our the conditions of our neighborhoods were so bad. Um, and so I think that there are a lot of people that are figuring that out that are still um, that that cannot imagine a way beyond public safety that does not encompass policing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I think that Eric Adams is, um, you know, he's able to kind of say, well, not only was I a cop, but I was the cop that was the good cop. Like I was a cop that was standing up, you know, against, you know, police violence. Um, but we all know, you know, <laughs> You know, exactly. And we all know that at the end of the day, that the, that the system, it, it harms black and brown people, regardless of what, whether or not you were speaking out while you were in uniform. Um, but I think that, you know, when I, you know, I think that the engagement is, um, it's really based, it might, it might be based on fear. It might be based on just his um, link to the establishment. Um, and, I, and I think it's a really scary reality that he might be um, the winner um, in the next couple of weeks, actually. Um, I'm, I'm really afraid about what that might mean for us. For me, I'm just really surprised that a lot of our, maybe not surprised, but I want, I'm disappointed and I also want some explanation as to why a lot of our elder black church going folks are supporting him in the polls. Like their numbers, their support has really bolstered and made um, his a victory for him more likely. Why do you think, why do you think, especially after last summer and the, the, the ask, the 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 discussion on reimagining has taken place that there's so much so much support for Eric Adams and also uh Yang. Absolutely. I, I again I think that um I've been in this these conversations privately, but I think that again we think about um policy and the policy agenda and how you know the war on crime, the war on drugs. Um, those that, those particular time periods for people. We you know we saw that there were there were folks who said, "Well, you know, you all the police the police are not coming to our neighborhoods. They're mm-hmm. going to every. They're not coming here to actually help us to think about um, you know the things that are happening in our neighborhoods." I think that, and I think that fear is what folks like Eric Adams and, 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 and Andrew Yang are really writing on, is that fear. And I think that um, more spaces need to exist so that our people can imagine what public safety looks like. And I think yeah. that, though, that that space just also doesn't exist. I think that, you know, we've had a year and, you know, we had more than a year inside the house. And so, you know, um, the, the political education that we would be having access to, the conversations that we want to be a part of, they're just not really happening. Um, because for the most part, we are, you know, we are really isolated from each other. But I think that, you know, over this next year, um, I, I want to be a part of conversations with elders and just really be able to sit and, and do interviews and and do Bible studies and do um, workshops and just do conversations with people and try to facilitate um, just a container for us to talk about. How can we actually have uh, safe communities without policing and without militarization? Uh, without weapons? How can we think about uh, mediating conflict on our own blocks, right? Um, Like these things are like out of the question for people. And I think that we're so used to the police doing that work for us. um, Mm -hmm. And we're so used to kind of like 
diverting to that until it, it's really hard to imagine something that is otherwise and that is better. Um, but we as, you know, I think that, that young people and organizers and some even older folks, um, really, we are figuring this thing out and we are thinking about restorative justice in our communities and we are thinking about conflict mediation um, and we are thinking even about gun violence, right? Um, we have folks who are, who already are thinking through this. Um, and so, Again, I think that Eric Adams and, and Andrew Yang are riding on um, on the fears of the people about like we're not going to be safe, you know. Or um, and we see what's happening. We see what's happening on the trains. We see what's happening with the opioid crisis. And I think that people are afraid of of moving back into a particular era um, and just cannot imagine otherwise possibilities for safety. I think what's surprising to me um, when I hear when I hear and I've heard the same thing you've heard that like. We don't want to go back to the 80s and 90s where cops didn't come to our neighborhoods where there's a lot of danger and um, lack of opportunities. When I think back to those times, as someone who was raised during the in the 90s, I think that the cops didn't make me feel safe. <laughs> when, they did come to my, when they did come to my community, they were arresting my brothers. They exactly. were arresting my father. They were um, pulling out guns and they were putting me in foster care. Mm -hmm. um, and as an adult, looking back at that time, I think a lot of my lack of safety and access had more to do with the disinvestment in my community of Brownsville, of Astoria, Queens, of Coney Island than it did in um, the police. Or mm -hmm. maybe those, well, or maybe those two, those two are really linked, right? There was, as we invest more in police as a form of community safety, but also as a form of social, social work <laughs> social <laughs> control exactly social, so social control instead of social work where we're mm -hmm. disinvesting or taking money away from um real networks of safety and community exactly uh, i just wanted to say also like i'm not taking i'm 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 being i'm actually being very nice and compassionate and what i really want to say also at the root of you know why a lot of black folks might be for very pro eric adams and andrew yang and in, in this public safety conversation it's just also respectability at mm -hmm. the, it's also, what does that mean I mean, when I talk about respectability, I mean aspiring to be um, a particular part of the middle class and aspiring to separate oneself from from what it means to be hood or what does it mean to be, you know, and so I think that- I'm a you, good I, black folk, yeah. I'm a good black person, so I don't do wrong anyway. I don't do crime anyway. So those people on the streets or those people who are having mental health crises, those people who are addicts, like they are in the wrong, so they should be taken off and they should be jailed. They should mm. be treated a particular- kind of way um so that's the other thing is that some a lot of people i mean some people do aspire um to be that way and to think in that way and they don't they don't necessarily think about um the masses really um and what the masses need so yes what are own. what are the black communities needs in this moment um in this election as we as people are head to the polls or come back from the polls what uh, have you heard or do you know are in a lot of black people's minds, um, especially after the pandemic? What are they need politically, socially? Um, yeah, what do they need? Yeah. yeah and yeah. also what's on their minds? I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, and I'm, I, I don't think about these things separately, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking a lot about economics in this mm. moment. I'm thinking a lot about, um, 
about the fact that people lost jobs and the fact that a lot of people are not going to go back to low paying jobs. A lot of people are not going to go back to um they're not going to go back to jobs where they don't have health insurance, where they don't have uh, benefit packages, packages that will allow them to live and survive and be in their best, in their fullest potential. Um, and so I think that, you know, there are a lot of ways in which, which this is an economic question. There are a lot of people who are thinking through, you know, how are they going to pay back their rent? You know, how are people going to put food on the table? Um and, and even when I think about those particular, you know, health issues, I'm thinking about all these things. And there's a lot of, there's pieces of legislation and there are, there are safety nets and there are things like, you know, the rental assistance program that I'm thinking about off the top of my head. But then I imagine, you know, for some Black people, how are these people going to get access to certain resources if you're afraid of talking to your landlord? So for example, so, so there are, there are things that are in place, but I'm, I'm worried about the bureau, the bureaucratic processes of receiving the resources that, that, that we need. Um, and so, yeah, I, for the most part, I'm thinking in terms of economics, in terms of what black people need. I think that black people need food, shelter, and then and they, and black people deserve to thrive and 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 if we don't have you know our basic needs met now I don't even I don't even see a possibility for thriving right i mean I, if, I, if i can just hop in here for a sec just going back to something you were saying a little earlier just uh, it made me think that um i mean one thing we're maybe seeing in this election here it, it you know is that the black community is not entirely a, a monolith i mean uh we have Three three black candidates in the race. We have, I mean, Ray McGuire, a former Wall Street banker, and then we have Eric Adams, the uh, sort of authoritarian uh, working class cop, as he likes to portray himself. And then we have uh, Maya Wiley, uh, much more, uh, a little more progressive politically, uh, certainly than those other two. And um, I saw a tweet last night that kind of uh, broke my brain a little bit. Where somebody made the point that uh, Eric Adams was trying to assemble an, a rainbow coalition of uh, uh, mm-hmm. outer borough uh, Archie Bunkers. Of course, Archie Bunkers are sort of the archetypical uh, white uh, racist from the outer boroughs. But that there, there's sort of this potential vote out there uh, of um, middle class homeowners of various uh, races that that live in the outer boroughs that. Um, are, are wary of defund the police and are more concerned about sort of holding on to what they have and not seeing it, it disappear. So I don't know. If you talk about that a, a little bit. Just yeah. That the, 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 the needs in the, in the black community seem to be divergent. There's people that are in, desperate and, you know, really struggling and um, don't have much. And, and, the, and the government really does very little or nothing for them. And then there's other people that are a little further along and, and, and maybe they want to hold on to what they have. And then there's even people like Ray McGuire that have done really well. And, um, you know, I think that is sad. And I'm going to say why I think that's sad. Um, because the way generational wealth actually happens in this, in this country, um, the way that it actually is set up, um, is that it is set up literally on the premise of slavery. So if you th- if we think about hundreds and hundreds of years of generational wealth that we have lost, there are ways in which Black people will never um, will never be able to be on the same level wealth wise as white people. Um, and so I think it's sad that some of us believe that we can somehow work our way 
um, out of being um, a particular class of black because that's just not the way that's just not the way that wealth works. <laughs> and I, way, yeah, it's not the way wealth in America works. It's not the way like it's not how any of this works. Exactly. You're just not going to work your way out really of being black and you're not, you mm. know, you're not going to make you're it's just not a reality. You're not going to be a Jeff Bezos. And a lot of people are, you know, buy a house, you know, and I think they imagine themselves as, you know, just somehow, um, you know, on a Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos level. I'm just like, that is not, that's not your reality. Yeah. And in yep. fact, in the policies and the, and the things that you think you're voting for that are going to help you, you know, they're going to put you further behind. And before you, I mean, before we know it, we're, you know, I, I, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think it's just sad. Um, and I think it's going to be sad to see some of those people um, see that their candidates are going to turn their backs on them. Um, and it's just going to be sad to see. It's going to be really sad to watch. Yeah, one of the pastors at uh, Concord Baptist and I were talking, Candace, Candace Simpson, she said um, a lot of their support in the um for Eric Adams in the black church growing community is because he shows up, right? He shows up, like physically shows up in the way that other politicians don't. He doesn't, like he comes to events, he like, they know his face. And I think they equate that with um, care or with <laughs> um, uh, similarities in politics or goals. I, that's not for me, but why do you think other candidates like Maya Wiley and um, the other progressive candidates aren't as well known and uh, for black people, especially as we, we are like trying to reimagine what community New and um, New York City will look like soon, hopefully. You know, I this is a hard question, but it is a real one. It's a real one that's happening in on the left um, mm. is a lot of times these more progressive candidates um, they don't always show up Yeah, when we ask them to come to events. They don't always show up in the ways in which um, I would like to see them. Um, and I say that as a progressive and as a person yeah. on the left. Um, it makes it harder. It does make it harder for us to convince our people to reimagine anything when these folks don't show up. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess... Um, mm, and I think it, I think it's a, it's another sad reality. I think that we, we you know we do see we see we see certain classes and we see you know um, I was gonna make a comment about um, the left and Diane Morales um, and and the majority of folks that have been in that camp, mm -hmm. um, but there has been some conversation about. Um, why haven't we seen her in the Bronx, right? Why yeah. haven't we seen her in certain parts of Harlem? Um, and the question is, you know, is it because, I, you know, today I was actually out canvassing and I was doing some work, you know, for poll visibility for, for a candidate that I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, and apparently someone walked by and was like, you know, why is Eric Adams not here in the Bronx? And the person said to them, well, the Bronx voter turnout is so low until a lot of these candidates say like what's the why am I even going over there like yeah. why am I even go, why am I going to go to a place where you know you know like I said the vote like I might quote unquote be wasting my time mm. um that's such a, I mean it, it 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 at the end of the day that type of thinking um 
you know, it really, it really says a lot to me about the way white supremacy works, right? Um, is to think about people in terms of numbers and not thinking about people in terms of them being people who deserve to be respected mm. um, and who deserve to be paid attention to, regardless of what they can do for you, right? Um, what does it yeah. mean to, to show up for a community um, because they need someone to show up for them? Right. Mm. I, I mean, I, I, just to pop in here, I mean, I think I mean, we ask, well, why hasn't, you know, Maya Wiley or Diane Morales been seen? And, and I forgot to mention when I was listening that listing the other black candidates in the race. Uh, I mean, Diane Morales herself is uh, Afro-Latina. Um, but I mean, these are both Morales and Wiley are fir- first time candidates. This year is the first time they've ever run for anything. I mean, er- Eric Adams was highly visible as a, uh, you know, a figure within law enforcement in the 1990s uh, with a hundred um, law enforcement officers who care. And then later spent, um, a de- uh, I think six or seven years in the state Senate and he's been borough president for eight years. So this is a guy who's been on the scene. Uh, for for a long time, and he's he's made the rounds to all the all the civic clubs and political clubs and anywhere else he can, uh, you know, uh, uh, make himself seen and heard. So he's got a big head start, it seems to me, um, in, in this race compared to somebody like Maya Wiley. Maya Wiley's probably best known, and she served in uh, the De Blasio administration, but is best known for being a a commentator on MSNBC, a legal commentator. And I mean, think about who really watches MSNBC. I mean, it's yeah. probably not the people who are uh, uh, cheering on Eric Adams. Um, and uh, I, I can't help but think, you know, there's one figure that we haven't heard from much at all in this cycle who could have had a huge impact, and that's uh, public advocate Jamani Williams, a c- candidate of the left. He's won citywide elections here in, in New York, and he opted not to run for mayor, but uh he would have entered the race with a much higher name recognition and, and visibility than either Wiley or Morales, but he he you know chose not to run. And, That's and, a very interesting choice on his part, don't you think? I saw him at a lot of well, some of the protests last year. Um, he was and- incredible. He he acted more like a mayor than De Blasio. I mean, he was everywhere and and was really a a, a powerful force. Um, both urging a certain mean? amount of calm, but also you know demanding that the police be accountable and then and then he's kind of stepped back some why why do you think that is um john and tabitha why do you think like why do you think jimani has stepped back um and my maya has stepped forward and diana and diane why have they stepped forward um i think like black women like definitely have a voice in politics like need a voice more of a voice representation in politics um and they may be better leaders than everybody else like that we've had so far but I yeah but sometimes you gotta back. like work your way up the rungs i mean they're but both Alice and wiley what's that jumani has kind of worked his way up the rungs and he hasn't stepped forward right he stepped back so who so when we think about progressive politics and changing um the changing of the guard what is it what is it um what does it mean when when the people you know well who like most expression politics don't run. Like, who do you vote for then? Eric Adams? I also no. wonder how far, I also wonder how far to the left he he is actually ready to go. Ah, That's another progressive, yeah. Yeah, I wonder, because I think that, and this is a thing that I've been coming up against since this past year, mm-hmm. is a lot of people who are really, um, 
really anti-police brutality are still not quite ready to say we need to defund the police and redefine public safety. Um, not everyone um, is ready to move in in a in the forest direction, and I think that like. I think that it's it's scary to make that step. And even as I think about who is actually who will outright say we need to defund the police and, and redefine public safety, the only person that I really see do that, well, there's two people. Of course, there's Diane Morales and there's Paperboy Prince. <laughs> um, <laughs> Paperboy Prince has my vote. You know what? He does, though. He has we a- all get five votes today, so we can all yeah. vote for Paperboy Prince and, and maybe some other folks who have a chance as well. I would vote for Paperboy Prince over Yang or Adams. <laughs> like, my voice heard, like, Wiley, Paperboy Prince, Diane Morales. <laughs> I know quite a few people who have him up there in their top three. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Because he, like, shows up um, in really fun new ways. Uh, and he's also progressive. Mm-hmm. What do you see? Um, we have two more minutes. So... Really quickly, um, what do you see as the future of New York City politics for Black folk? Uh, and how does Tabitha Holly, Pastor Tabitha Holly, figure into that future? Mm. Ooh. You know, I, I, I want to say, I want to kind of answer that question. Like, I want to answer the second question first. Um, because I, what I want to do is I want to be a, I want to continue to be a part of the conversation and the crafting of the crafting of the conversations that Black people will have in this next year mm. about how how we live and how we make it um, when we find out what happens in July and what we find out what happens today. There are a lot of um, there are a lot of city council districts that are that are very, very important. Um, there are, you know, and, and I even find like given that we are so unclear about who will be um, New York City's next mayor, I think that, you know, these city council districts, districts are really going to matter. But I think that regardless of that, I just want to be a part of the conference. I want to be in rooms where Black people are mm-hmm. and I want to be able to really get to the heart of what is it that Black people are going through and facing um, and how how do we imagine something better for ourselves? How do we can continue to think about mutual aid? How do we continue to think about, you know, what we will do when the state fails us? Um, when, not if, it's a when. Yeah, <laughs> when fails us, what is our plan? Um, yeah. What is our plan for survival? And we've been here before. Mm. Um, so that that is, um, I know that Black people are capable and amazing and beautiful and um, and that and that we, we have done this before, and I think we're going to be imagining what we're going to do again over this next year. Um, and I'm just excited about being a part of that conversation, um, the, just the, the conversation about dreaming and imagination um, beyond what is. Mm. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Um, Tabitha is the pastor of, uh, sorry, of, can you say your church again? It's the the New Day Church in Northwest Bronx, an open and affirming um, independent denominational community of organizers, educators, artists, young people, and dreamers committed to building the movement of God against the forces of empire. Um, Tabitha has been so wonderful and given us so much to consider and think about. You're invited back anytime. Uh, If you want to catch up with uh, Tabitha, visit her at uh, the New Day Church. 
Uh, and speaking of reimagining and what it means, uh, Brooklyn for Peace will be having a workshop on the proposed legislations of the George Floyd Act versus the Breathe Act at the end of Jan July. So if you'd like to join us uh, at that workshop, please check out our website. Uh, and I'm going to hand it over to uh, John because we're going to go on a little music break.